When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to the Daily Digest from Football Digest as we continue to digest all of the major talking points from the January transfer window. It might be a bit of a slow burner so far, only Everton really making waves in the Premier League, maybe a couple of others that have had loan moves and, and whatnot, but hopefully it does kick into life sooner rather than later. Uh, joining me this morning to run through the latest news from the transfer window is of course the Daily Express's Ryan Taylor and Colin Miller from the Daily Mirror. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us this morning, really appreciate your time. Um, Ryan, for, for the uninitiated who might be listening to this podcast uh, for the first time, might not be aware, Tuesdays are always a big day for yourself, it's when your column comes out uh, on the Express and that's kind of really provided the backbone for the uh, for the running order for this show uh, really plenty of, of for us to go through um, and of course we'll start off with perhaps one of the biggest stories that's going to run throughout the month really uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang stripped to the Arsenal captaincy completely out of favour at the Emirates Stadium it looks like uh, he's on his way out Ryan but there is a small matter or I'm not allowed to say that really after Jurgen Klopp got called off for saying it, it was the small matter of the African Cup of Nations but but there is that competition that he is going to be playing in, in Gabon for, for the majority of this month and um, that is going to complicate a potential exit from Arsenal? 100%. Um, so, the contacts I have at Arsenal, when I spoke to them last month, they pretty much made it clear that Arsenal will sell Aubameyang if they get the chance to do so. Um, obviously, it's still kind of up in the air whether that will materialise, given that the nature of some of the interested clubs um, it's been talked Barcelona could move, but see, it looks like they're sort of going for Alvaro Morata after signing Ferran Torres as well. Um, and then the likes of Juventus and uh, clubs like that. And you, you do question whether they have the money to pull off the deal. Um, but with the Africa Cup of Nations running for pretty much the duration this month, dependent on whether Gabon progress through the group stage, it's going to really complicate Aubameyang's chances of leaving um, and whether an offer arrives. I think the 18th of January is the date of Gabon's final group game. Obviously, whether they progress is, is going to, depend, you know, really dictate whether there's enough time to materialise a move. Um, I know clubs can obviously potentially send medics out to Cameroon to conduct any form of medical or failing that they could ask Gabon to carry out the checks. But I really just think it's going to prove difficult for Aubameyang to move on. And at the moment, it doesn't really look like there's any way back from Arsenal. So we could potentially see a situation where he's left out of the side for the rest of the season. Colin, Ryan touching it there that there were links to Barcelona um, in, in just before the window opens. He's obviously been linked as well recently to for a move to Newcastle. But in terms of in terms of Aubameyang, I mean, is there much of a an appetite for him on the continent? We've seen him in the past. He's done you know, brilliantly for Borussia Dortmund in Germany. Um, he's had stints elsewhere across the continent. Obviously, we faced Milan previously with Nantes as well. Um, could we 
potentially see a move back to Europe for him? Well, Aubameyang is, um, I mean, he scores goals, doesn't he? And he sort of guarantees goals whenever you provide him with the chances. And I mean, that, that's obviously a valued commodity. But listen, this is a guy who's on big wages, who's now in the 30s, who's probably in a... Wouldn't say a prolonged slump of form, but certainly since signing that new Arsenal deal, he hasn't he hasn't come anywhere near to the heights he did previously. And those are things the clubs would be taking into consideration. Um, I don't think Spain is an option for him at the minute. I don't think Real Madrid or, or would, would consider that with with the players that they have lined up for the summer. And yeah, Barcelona have always been linked, but Alvaro Morata is supposedly the guy that Xavi wants, that the club wants, and Barcelona the club that he supposedly wants too. So that's probably a deal that is likely to get done um, in the next couple of weeks certainly coming from the Spanish press but um, it's it's hard to see where Aubameyang ends up isn't it I mean Juventus and PSG are potential options because we don't know what's going to happen with Mauro Icardi's future um, in Paris and perhaps if he was to move to Juventus or if he wasn't to move to Juventus that can implicate what happens with Aubameyang and then of course Newcastle United are probably the club in, in the Premier League who have been more closely linked with, with, with the striker but then again you kind of think is a striker what Newcastle need this summer? Or sorry, this this January. Obviously, defence is the priority. You know, if you look at their defensive record, it's as bad as Norwich. But if you compare them to maybe Norwich or Burnley, they've got more they've got more scorers in the team, and that's maybe not the priority of what they're looking for. So it's it's a complicated one, isn't it? And, and we know what with what Arsenal and Mikel Arteta did with Mesut Ozil. They're not they're not scared to ostracised I suppose a player of this stature and one of their highest earners for a period of months so I think that Arsenal from Arsenal's end they will certainly want to move to clear up the wages but you know it's one of those things where I think we might need to wait a couple of weeks to see developments elsewhere and maybe an opportunity could open up maybe in the final week or two of the window. Ryan, just delving a little bit deeper into your column, uh, it seems that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is not the only Arsenal striker who could find himself, maybe not this window at least anyway, but, but potentially a little bit later on this year, uh, on the move. Uh, Alexander Lacazette, Eddie and Ketty are both out of contract at the end of this season, yet to agree fresh terms. Um, mentioned there about how both have, have rejected the club's latest offers as well. And I suppose this is a, an interesting period for Arsenal and, and their strikers. You know, with Aubameyang seemingly on his way out and then no way back for him. And then the two lads who are being trusted to to lead the line uh, without their, their former talismanic striker and captain, uh, that they're also out of contract come the summer. Exactly. Exactly that. It's, it's kind of a, a strange scenario, really, that Arsenal find themselves in with potentially... By the end of the summer, they could have none of the three strikers currently being called upon. Um, as you mentioned, Lacazette is probably at this stage of his career looking for a bit more of a long-term contract. Um, I think Arsenal have only offered sort of a two-year short-term deal. Um, and Eddie Nketiah wants promises of game time. And obviously, at the moment, he's the kind of striker that is very useful in the cup competitions and coming off the bench. But I think it's a big sort of gamble to be calling on him at this stage of his career. So, um, and it looks like Arsenal were prepared to wait until the summer to um, to go big on a striker. So, at the moment, I, I can't really see any of those three staying, including Aubameyang. Um, I know Arteta wants to keep both Nketiah and Lacazette, but at the moment, it will prove difficult to kind of um, satisfy their needs. And as well, uh, the young striker, Fowler and Balogun as well is probably going to leave on loan with Middlesbrough looking like the club that are going to take him. Um, obviously, Chris Wilder tried to sign him at Sheffield United before he signed Rian Brewster. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the whole dynamic in attack at Arsenal could be 
completely different come the start of next season. I think we could see him sign at least one, potentially two or three strikers. Ryan, again, go back to your column. Um, I mentioned a name that's been mentioned a few times with Arsenal in the past is Dylan uh, Vlahovic. But for this column today, uh, mentioning about him and, and his potential uh, Spurs links, it seems that maybe a move might not be in the best interest for Spurs in the way that it might be structured in terms of the prices, where he's going to fit in, who he could play with, uh, unless Spurs were to, you know, say, lose Harry Kane in this window, which might probably won't happen, but never say never. You never know with a January window. Um, but in terms of and what he'd be able to how he'd be able to adapt to the Premier League were he to, to, to come in. Um, he's someone that, that has been smashing goals for fun in Serie A this year. Would he have the right characteristics and the right attributes that if Spurs or Arsenal were to go in for him, that he'd be able to, to come in and make an immediate impact? Yeah, I think I think whenever whenever you went up signing a striker and you see their, their goals record and you think, oh, this, this guy's fantastic and, you know, he can just sort of bring this into any team and, there's so many, there's so many sort of different layers to that as well in terms of how it works. So you looked at the summer transfer window and and some of the players that moved, like Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, and I mean obviously they're a different age bracket, but it's difficult to adapt to a new club, to to a different league, to a different style, different formation. It's not easy for strikers to do that and just settle in straight away and hit the ground running. And certainly when you're talking about Tottenham there and you've got Harry Kane, Hungman Son, I mean they're not going to be replaced in in the starting lineup. I mean a striker certainly not of that nature. Of that caliber, it's not really the priority for Spurs. Spurs are more looking to have have maybe a, a younger player who can maybe be developed a little bit more and be embedded in in that sense. So it, it's a difficult one. Um, on the face of it, Arsenal would, would probably be a better fit because, as just said, there they they need at least um, one or two strikers on board. And I, th- I think if we if we're honest about it, the current strikers that Arsenal have aren't really good enough for for what they want. I mean, Lacazette and Aubameyang have both. I mean, their, their goal returns are okay, but they maybe don't bring enough to their game outside of that. Is Eddie and Ketcher really the answer? I mean, he's obviously a player of potential, but but the, the jury's still out on him. And I think if you look at the likes of Martin Odegaard, Bakari Saka, Emil Smith-Rowe, you know, even Gabriel Martinelli, who's more who's more of a sort of wider player, they've got a lot of good attacking options, but they maybe need that sort of central focus point in attack. And and Vlahovic, is, I suppose he's he's got the age profile, he's got he's got the sort of playing style and bracket that Arsenal would be looking at. Um, and again, he he equals Cristiano Ronaldo's Serie A goal record um, for the calendar year, which I, which is a little bit a little bit of a, a of a nonsense in terms of a record, but it shows you just how prolific he has been over, over the longer term. And yeah, I mean, this this is a guy who's a lot of excitement about. He's out of contract in eighteen months, so maybe the summer would be a good window whereby his transfer valuation might drop just slightly into that bracket, which would make it would make it affordable um, for Arsenal. And, and certainly, it, it's that time of year where you'd rather do business because January is more of a you know if you've got a shortcoming in your squad or if you've got a couple of long term injuries, you might be forced into doing something. But I don't think Arsenal will, will will panic about this, and I think they'll probably hold their cards close to their chest until the summer. And Vlahovic would would probably be, if not the number one target, certainly certainly on their radar. Ryan, in your in your column you mentioned a potential uh, alternative for Spurs uh, should they look to sign a striker this summer in in, in, in this window, sorry. Uh, Jean-Luc Escamaca uh, from Sassuolo, uh, a favourite of Fabio Paratici, but reading that line it kind of it triggered something in my head and and listening to Antonio Conte's comments in his press conference yesterday ahead of the uh, Carabao Cup semi-final with Chelsea this week. Um 
he seemed to, he was asked about his transfer window plans and he seemed to pretty much say exactly what he'd said previously and that he needs to have this meeting with the board first. He's evaluated his squad, but once he has the meeting with the board, uh, he'll, he'll tell them his opinion on players that he wants to sign to go out and sign. Surely, A, that, that should have happened already before we've come into January, um, that he's had that meeting. And B, there's already murmurings of a potential, how should we put it, a, a power struggle almost between probably Conte, who wants certain players, and Imperatici, who has been brought in to oversee Tottenham's transfers, who might have a liking for certain other players. I think uh, sticking with Syria, Dayan Kulisevsky is another one that I think Paratici wants, and, and there's suggestions that maybe Conte doesn't. Yeah. Um, to be honest, with that, I feel like, you know, Conte wouldn't have taken this job unless unless he received certain assurances that, you know, there would be the money there to spend and that he would have some form of control over transfers. Um, obviously, he's worked with Paratici before at Juventus. The relationship's good. Um, and generally speaking, I think the pair will share admiration for some of these players. Um, I think in the first couple of weeks and months of Conte's reign, he wanted to really assess what he has. Obviously, you look at the likes of Harry Winks who have turned their, their career around almost in, in the past sort of six weeks, given that Winks was seemingly heading for the exit door in January. Um, but if you actually look at Paratici's signings, I've, I've not really been overly impressed by any of them. Um, Christian Romero's obviously suffered a bad hamstring injury. Um, you've got Emerson Royale, to be honest, I think the jury's still out on him. I know he's only 22 years old and Still kind of adapting, but not been overly impressed by him. Um, got Brian Hill as well, who's barely featured from the bench. So, to be honest, I'd, if I was Conte, I'd maybe have some kind of concerns as to this cash is kind of being wasted. I think Conte should be backed and trusted in the transfer market. He's got a, um, a clear stature and track record of developing players and maximising the full use of his squad. But I think if he was to get sort of three or four statement strong additions that he wanted. I feel like we'd see Spurs much closer to where they need to be, even though I still think they're probably on course for a, a top four finish, although Arsenal were obviously looking strong as well. Just and just just to jump in quickly there on on Conte and Tottenham. I mean, we can see that on the pitch there's been been huge improvements. You know, there's there's, there's a real clear style of play, and certainly in terms of results, have, have picked up quite quite substantially. But it's always off the pitch, isn't it? That, that you need to be to be almost more mindful of what could go wrong there. And we've seen the relationship break down pretty quickly at Juventus, very quickly at Chelsea, and then an edit into two. And we know that whenever he doesn't get what he he demands or he wants, he does. He does tend to get to get frustrated quite quickly and, and to let that become known. And I, I think we, we've almost seen little tiny signs of that already, where he's been like, "With the, the players I have, the squad I have, there's clear shortcomings. We need to improve. We need to get players in." Other clubs might be a little bit more a little bit more cautious in terms of their sort of longer term strategy. I think Tottenham have appointed a guy who they know is short term, who they know that if they don't meet his sort of needs and desires, I suppose, in, in the next one or two transfer windows, then then this is this is something that might not work out the way they want it to. So there, I think there is more pressure on Tottenham, more so than any other club in the next, certainly certainly this month, but also in summer to get the players that Conte wants. And if that doesn't happen, you, you, we could proceed to be sitting here in a year from now, and he, he might not be at the club any longer, and it can break down very quickly. So, yeah, I, I think I think Ryan, what Ryan's indicating there is, is is quite right that they do need to get players in to to improve not just the squad, but they're they're starting eleven. Um, as well, where I think there are shortcomings in comparison to some of their, some of their top four rivals. 
We've spoken this morning about players potentially coming over from Syria to the Premier League. One player who had been linked from the Premier League to, to Syria, see a beautiful segue there, uh, was Diego Dallo. Um, another name that comes up in your column today, Ryan. Um, but it looks like he won't be going back to Syria. Obviously spent a, a loan spell there with AC Man previously and, and really impressed um, by, by all accounts. You know, kind of after a couple of difficult seasons, maybe at Man United, really, really kind of reminded people exactly what he's about. Um, former Man United boss Jose Mourinho wanted to link up with him at Roma, but it doesn't look like that's going to be allowed by Ralph Ranić. No, um, in quite timely fashion, Dallow was then dropped last night, was it? Yeah. Um, but Dallow has really been probably one of the most revived players under Ranjit. Um Obviously, he's been a bit of a rough ride for him this season, really, just as Solskjaer's persistence with Luke Shaw and Wan-Bissaka. Um, a bit similarly to um, Fred and McTominay, you know, those, those guys seem to be mainstays even when they looked... Um, completely fatigued. There was not really any kind of uh, um, encouragement to sort of freshen it up, even just for a game or so. But Dallow's really benefited from that. Um, I think Wambasaka got a, a wrist injury at the end of the Young Boys game, but since then he was kind of in and playing really well. I think he provided the cross for Edinson Cavani to equalise at Newcastle. He's just got a bit more quality on the ball. I think. See, if you watched the game last night, there was that. Um, Flip of Wambasaka, you know, trying to cross the ball and shanking it out for a goal kick. I think Dallow's really got that sort of quality delivery on him. He's still only young as well. Um, I know Brissier Dortmund tried to sign him in the summer, but Solskjaer was keen to keep him because he sort of wanted to have that assurance of uh, of a backup fullback. So United looked at Trippier as well. That interest has now died, and now it looks like Dallow is really rivaling Wambasaka for the shirt, even though. Wambasaka probably still is just a bit ahead of him. I feel like there's real encouragement now that he could potentially become the first choice right back, particularly for the rest of this season, all the while Ranić in charge. Should be a, an interesting month, I think, for, for Man United General Day, Colin, um, in terms of where do they go? Because it's a, it's a weird window for them. Ralph Ranić is not going to be their long-term manager. There is going to be a new face, we know that, in, in the summer. It's all... It almost seems like when Liverpool had Kenny Dalglish back in charge for the January window, and it was obviously he did end up being their long-term manager. But it's such a strange situation for Ranić in that he kind of he must feel like any decisions that he does make, he must be certain that whoever does come in is going to is going to want those same decisions as well. You know, in terms of outgoings, in terms of incomings, because this isn't going to be his long-term squad. Yeah, absolutely. And then Manuel Ranić is, is, is certainly in the past decade has become more of a more of a recruitment um, a recruitment behind the scenes coordinator rather rather than a coach. And I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt that that's something that that's that's a key part of his of his planning right now. That that's why he agreed to become a two a two year advisory role once ever, whenever the season ends. And I think for Man United, probably the most important thing at the minute is, if anything, to slim down their squad. They identify the players who don't have a future at the club, and I think there's quite a few of them, and not just not just players who are, who are probably on bigger wages and who have probably aged um, in, in the past few years beyond their beyond their peak years, so to speak. But I think I think there's a couple of others, and Ryan mentioned there is Aaron Wan Bissaka, even the long term right back at the club, especially with the, with the sort of style of play United are now trying. To implement where fullbacks are being encouraged more and more to get forward is, is he somebody that that really fits their long term strategy and there, there, there's, there's more than there's more than just one Basaka and I think I mean again I, I think United are a club who at the minute 
they, they just come off the back of a summer transfer window whereby they've spent a lot of money, um, especially on wages, more so than transfer fees. And they're also in a position where they have a lot of talented young players on their books who could potentially break in. So I think the trick now is to, is to sort of start to integrate a couple of them into the first-team squad. Obviously, we've seen Anthony Alanga coming through a little bit in recent weeks, but there's quite a lot of players sort of in the late teens who are breaking through in the under-23s too who, who seem to have quite a quite a promising future. And I know that, that that's something that the club will look to do. And also, they, they obviously need to sort out the central midfield. And that's something that's not going to happen, almost certainly isn't going to happen this January and, and will be a priority for summer. So, yeah, there, there's a lot there's a lot to think about. And I think all of this needs to be tied in with, with, with who their next manager is, who will obviously want a say in recruitment, who will want a say in, in the, the style that they're going to implement. Is that going to be somebody like Maurizio Pochettino? Is it going to be somebody like Eric Ten Hag from Ajax? I mean, these are two guys who, who are both clearly candidates for for the club but who equally have different sort of objectives and how they want to play and what sort of players they want to have so it's it's going to be it's going to be uh, it's going to be a way where united just have to start to slim down the squad whilst planning for the future but they can't properly do the latter until they sort out the management situation and that probably won't happen until the end of the season so i think this month will be a quiet one but again it, it's more it's more about trying to fit the needs of the squad and see who has a long-term future there Right, just before we go, I just wanted to get one last little uh, one last little bit from your column onto the show um, about uh, Huang Chan at Wolves. Um, started so brightly in terms of his loan spell from from RB Leipzig, four goals in his first six appearances, tailed off a little bit. Wolves are still expected to maybe make it a permanent this month, but but there are suggestions that it might be one or two question marks over his over his long term fitness that that maybe might see this delayed into the summer before it gets made permanent. Yeah, I think. Um... From what I understand with the situation with He Chan, he's really appreciated by Bruno Large. Um, he's the exact kind of profile and signing that Wolves really need. You know, these smart sort of 15 to 20 million pound guys that can play in multiple systems, that have still got room to develop, can play in different positions. Um, and his attitude as well since he came in was really good. I think he scored four goals in his first six Premier League games. Um, and around about November, Wolves decided that they wanted to activate his £13 million option to buy from RB Leipzig. But um, he picked up quite a nasty hamstring injury at Brighton in December. Um, so I think what's going to happen now is they're basically just going to bide their time and activate it in the summer as opposed to this month. Um, it's not to say they won't do it this month, but I feel like um, you know, it's best just pretty much let him focus on his, on his recovery. But... Um, Wolves are going to sign Wang Hee Chan and I think on the basis of what we've seen in glimpses I think that's a smart little pick up for the kind of price in this market Jets, just before we go this morning I just wanted to get your thoughts on the window uh, in general and, and maybe one or two uh, moves that we should be perhaps keeping an eye out on uh, Colin I'm going to come to you first where, where should we perhaps be keeping our gazes where should we be looking at throughout this month to see if anything does happen yeah, well, there's always there's always going to be there's always going to be clubs involved, isn't there? And I think we sort of touched on it a little bit earlier, but the Alvaro Morata potential move to Barcelona. I mean, there's the reports the reports out of Spain are saying this is ninety five percent done at the minute. Um, Morata is obviously an interesting striker in the sense that he's had a he's been at probably five of the top ten clubs in Europe but probably hasn't really settled anywhere and um, probably hasn't really found his natural home. And I think, again, this season, he's 
he's probably underwhelmed at Juventus. Um, but he's a guy. He's a guy that Javi wants. He's a guy that Barcelona wants. And if Barcelona were to sign him, where does that leave the likes of Memphis Depay? Obviously, we know that Sergio Aguero's retired, but you know Barcelona have already signed Ferran Torres. They're, they're already freshening up their attack, so that could potentially not have a knock-on effect from Memphis Depay. Obviously, it will have a knock-on effect in terms of Juventus will want a replacement um, for Morata, whether that be Mario Riccardi at PSG, and if that was to happen, then PSG are subsequently looking for a new striker, or potentially, of course, Aubameyang, as we mentioned earlier. So, that I think that's the one deal that could trigger a bit of a domino effect that would certainly certainly encompass three or four of the top clubs on the continent. So, that'll that'll certainly be one to keep an eye on, and, and again, it's. It's almost a little bit unusual that, that, that quite a lot of these deals could happen in the middle of the season, but due to due to I suppose, the, the, the situation at Barcelona in terms of their squad and in terms of their sort of need for immediate immediate investment um, and immediate freshen up of their attacking options for sure, then that's something that could that we could see, and it's definitely one to keep an eye on. And Ryan, for yourself, what's the what's the one transfer that's going to keep us gripped throughout this month? I'm not sure about the one transfer, but I feel, I feel like obviously we can't not mention Newcastle. I feel like it's a really anyone's guess what's going to happen. I know Trippier is now close. I do expect that to be the first the first um, sign in. But what kind of caliber of player can Newcastle attract on the basis that you know in four or five months' time they could potentially um, be relegated to the Championship? So I feel like that's interesting. Obviously, the inclusion of potential relegation clauses in these contracts. Um, when they first had the takeover completed, they were linked with just about everyone. But you're seeing the likes of Odi and Agalo being thrown around and you're kind of thinking, what kind of players are Newcastle really going for if they're you know, to be dragged out of the dogfight? Um, I do think they'll have enough, but I'm really intrigued to see you know, which kind of profiles they bring to the club. Brian, Colin, thank you so much for your time this morning. Really appreciate it as always. Uh, just before we go, a reminder that, of course, you can read Ryan's column at Taylor's Tuesdays Transfers on the Express every Tuesday throughout January to stay up to date with all you need to know. Of course, you can also stay up to date uh, by checking regularly the Daily Mirror, Daily Express, Daily Star websites, as well as all of Reach's regional titles. Uh, but for now, it's goodbye. Goodbye.